Didn't the worship team do a great job today leading us into God's presence? Amen. So I'm going to drop this into first gear and keep going because I want to share the message that God really gave me today for, for this house. And, and the title of it, it's Drop the Rocks. As simple as that. Drop the rocks. So tell your neighbor, you better drop those rocks. Not at me, but just drop the rocks. Not at my toes. No, just kidding. All right. John chapter 8, verse 1 uh, and 2. It says, Jesus went across the Mount Olives, but as soon as he came back to the temple, swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religious scholars and the Pharisees let in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed. Everybody say red-handed. In the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such a person. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating. So, so they could bring charges against them. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless among you, go first. Throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote in the dirt again. Hearing, hearing that they walked away one by one, one after another, beginning with the oldest, the woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Neither do I, Jesus said. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Some of your Bible says, go and sin no more. So I know it's a hard part to talk about, but I want to start by Going to chapter 7, we're starting with this chapter, and I, I want to talk to you about what happened to Jesus prior to that. Jesus was talking to the same scholars that brought this woman back to him. He said that the night before, the afternoon before, he was teaching them, and, and it doesn't, it's not as specific of what he's teaching them, but it said in the end of the day, they got together, and the Pharisees and the scribes went to their own homes, But Jesus had nowhere to go. Isn't it crazy that the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who placed every star in his place, did not have a place to lay his head down. Some scholars said that he went to the Mount of Olives, that he had some friends there. That's what some of them say. Another scholar that kind of like tend to lean that way actually said that he went to spend time in the Mount of Olives with the Father. Because he knew that the next day that was coming right around the corner was going to have its own storms, was going to have its own situation, was going to have its own trials. Isn't that like life with us? That every day has its own unique, distinct, one-of-a-kind situations. I did a wedding not too long ago, and it was the funniest thing. I don't think they're here today. But I did this wedding, and I was talking about storms of life. I was like, 
There's storms of life, and if you don't have a storm, there's one with your name right in the corner, right around the corner. And guess what happened in the outside wedding? A storm. I mean, literally, chairs were flying everywhere. And I looked at him, I was like, are we doing this? They're like, let's do it. I said, hold on to me. I'm not just kidding. We're going to, no, not like that. But I mean, I started going through it and we went through the whole wedding. People were watching from the, from the porches and everything. And we did the whole wedding. Because storms are coming. Storms are right around the corner. And he went to spend time with his father because he knew there was a situation. He went to the Mount of Olives. And then there's a translation that calls it the, the Mount of Crushing, where they would crush the olives, and it would make oil. Somebody told me one time, I want that anointing. I want that. I said, like, have you been crushed? Because in order to have the anointing, the oil that you need, you have to be crushed. Who knows the price of the anointing, the olive oil, right? Because it's the one that's being crushed. So Jesus went to the place of crushing the place where the situations were crushing. He knew the situations were coming the next day. But he also knew that the place to go before a storm comes, it's in the presence of God. So I want to give you a few little snippets of what happens in the place of, a place of crushing. Great things happen in the place of crushing, of the crushing. The real us is revealed in that place. They say that real Christians are like tea bags. You really don't know their true color until you put them in hot water. Come on. You really don't know the true color until a hot situation. Everybody's saying, man, hallelujah, glory to God. And, oh, I felt that until a situation or a storm comes our way. And we're like, I didn't know that came out of your mouth. I mean, come on. How many of us know that sometimes those situations, uh, in the place of crushing, it reveals our need for God. In the place where we're being crushed, it reveals exactly our emptiness and our desire that we need a Savior. And the last one that I think is very important is proven by Jesus. It prepares us for a future battles. Verse number two, it says, at dawn, he appeared again to the, in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to, uh, to teach them. He had been with them before. He went away to get some rest. He found his rest at the presence of the Father. I think that is a lesson for us. We think that we find our rest in our cell phone. We think we find our rest in the gossip on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. I got them all. But we think that we find our rest there. But the reality of it is our true rest is only found in God's presence. So he went over there. He spent time there. And someone... To say that the scribes and all those Pharisees and all those people that describes the ones that wrote one law and they multiplied into a whole bunch of laws. And the Pharisees, the ones that I've kept all of it. And they were like the security guards like, you said this, so we're going to back it up. So those people brought this lady. They got caught in the act of adultery. 
I don't want to explain that right now, what that means, because we got toy school presents. That means you kids, by the way. We got little ones around sometimes. So, and, and you know what? And all of a sudden, they brought this lady in. Now, this is the same people that probably Jesus was teaching them the day before. And they wanted to catch him in something. And, and the, the crazy thing that, that gets me is they wanted to use and quote scripture to catch him in something. So they all, they all looked up to Moses. So not even looked up because we need to look up to the men and women of God that God has in our life. But they borderline idolized them. That is dangerous, my friend, when you idolize somebody. When you put him above God. Only he deserves that throne. Can you say amen to that? So all of a sudden, these people would look up and they looked at Jesus and said, Hey, in the law of Moses, they want to use that as a, as a fulcrum to kind of like turn the things around and say, oh, oh, Jesus, we got the stones ready. We're white knuckling the stones. We're ready to do this. And they're looking at this lady and they're going, ah, I'm going to knock her out first. And they said, the law of Moses said this. Now what do you say we should do? The truth is this. It says it right there. It, it says that we need to stone her. So now, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Jesus, what do you think we should do? And it shocked me to realize what he did. Jesus is so wise. Because I would have been pressed to give him an answer. Have you ever noticed when the enemy tries to poke at you? It's for you to respond. But the wisest ones are the ones that keep their mouth. Come on, somebody. Mm. So that Jesus bent down and was writing in the ground. Now, I can get so spiritual and stretch the scripture and say he was writing this. It is not clear. I looked at FF Bruce. I looked at Wordsby. I looked at so many commentaries. It's not clear. So if I was to tell you he was writing this, that, that's not true. Maybe you heard it from somebody in their opinion, but it's not biblically correct. It doesn't say that. And it said that um, he bent down. He was writing. And have you ever noticed when a mob gets together and gossip gets together, oh, it's just a prayer request. No, it's called gossip, my friend. And <laughs> don't call it. I'm just searching for spiritual needs. No, no, it's called gossip if you're going to use it against them. And all of a sudden, things started escalating and escalating. And somebody's saying, I'll throw that rock. No, look at Jesus. Are you going to respond? Are you going to say this? And Jesus was bending down. The dude was taking it easy. He was writing. Isn't that what we're supposed to do after we get out of God's presence so we don't allow the world to dictate what we do? But our peace is found in Jesus alone. So he was writing, bending down, writing. Someone must have said something, but let me back it up to a story that means a lot to me. My sister and I, we used to go at it. The girl got a mouth. She's probably listening right now. 
You're probably going to talk a lot. No, I was just kidding. I love my sister. But she has a mouth. She's younger than me, but man, sometimes her words are like whips, you know. And she would be talking, I would be going back, and we'd be going at each other. My dad worked in electronics, so he would fix TV. So he would get in a corner. Back then, TVs were tubes. Some of you guys don't know what it is. I'm, you know, whatever. Do you mean they had something that is not flat? Absolutely. And they were heavy, too. All right. So my dad would be fixing TVs, and her and I would be going at it. I mean, and do you know the word escalate? It starts growing. Things start getting ruder. starts getting worse and worse. And all of a sudden, my dad would lift his head up. Hated that look. Three words. Well thought of words. Thoughts. I mean, he must have been digesting these words. Have you ever been there as a parent? You go, I'm going to choose the right word. Because I got a lot of words to say. I have a lot of volume to say it. But there was that volume that my dad would use. It wasn't yelling. It wasn't whispering or murmuring. But it was right there. He would say two, three things. And my sister and I, our mouths would go, whoosh. And then he would look and we would go, Psh. we were scattered. Because we know what's coming up next. And I can't imagine Jesus as things are escalating. Things are, they're, they're talking and they're saying all this stuff. But let me let you into the story. Jesus was listening. Because somebody said something, they totally must have crossed the line. He was probably saying, I was talking to them yesterday. They're probably going to figure it out. They're probably talking it out. And all of a sudden, they, somebody said something. They must have crossed the line. And just like my dad said that Jesus set up. Some scholars said that he could have been crying because he's seen how bad things were. Some scholars said that he coughed, that he puffed. It's not really clear. But the answer is clear. He set up. Don't know if it was yelling or loud or soft. He said... Any of you that think that you're sinless, throw the first stone. Go on. And went back to writing. I don't know about you, but that would make me tremble. And I'm going to take it a little bit deeper. I would hate to be the one that Jesus made eye contact with. I mean, you will go down in history as the one that Jesus seen through 20 generations down, and you're like, oh, he looked at me. <laughs> Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, you're arguing, la, 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 throw, I got the first throw. I'm going to knock her in the forehead right there. You know, and all of a sudden, Jesus looks up, and, and, and I will be like, he ain't looking at me. <laughs> he's, he's, look at him. Right? Because I would be distracted. I would be to the point, I'd, I'd be like, he ain't talking to me. I, psh, I throw my rock down before he says anything. Right? But that look, those words pierce through generations. Pierce through the deepest part of somebody's soul to say, hey, if you guys think you got it all put together, go on. 
throw the first stone. You might say, Pastor Milton, I know where you're going. I'm tracking. But I want to ask you a question. Maybe you look at me and you go, well, Pastor Milton, I don't listen to rock. I don't pick up rocks nor date people who like rock. So you can't be talking to me. I, I go to the river and I don't even touch rocks because I don't want to get dirty. But for some of us, I mean, not in this church, somewhere else that deals with throwing rocks. I want to give you five rocks that I believe they can stop what God is doing in your life. Number one, rocks of righteousness. I am good and godly and you are not. There is something that happens whenever we are in this side of the cross and we need a savior that we humble ourselves before God and we give everything that we have to him and we come to him humble and broken. But as soon as we get in the other side of the cross, we look at people and we go, you're not as good as I am because I am righteous. I am right. I am good. Absolute truth in the hands of an absolute sinner, can be absolutely brutal. We tend to see people differently because just because we're in this side of the cross, it should make us more compassionate because it is not by our strength and it is not by our doing that we are where we are. And I can say that for me. You are and I am where I am because of God's grace. Can you say amen to that? That it is by God's grace alone. It is not that we are good. It is because He is good. It is not by our strength or our power. It is by his power and his strength. Whenever you get to the point that you think you're better than someone else, you are taking credit for the grace that God has produced in you. Whenever you think you're good, you are taking credit for the grace of God that he has produced in you and in me. So you can't let That go to your head. Maybe you're victorious in something and then you have overcome something. You know, it gets me so sad when I see somebody that has arrived financially and they look down on everybody else, forgetting that they were there not too long ago. And it is only by God's grace and power that they're there. Or maybe you have developed a spiritual walk and that you can pray, but you know something, it is not by your strength. You're not that good. You know, I can say that for my kids, that it is not because I'm a great parent. I try to do the best I can, but it is by God's grace that I'm able to do that. Everything we have comes through the funnel of grace. Everything that we do needs to go back to that funnel. Because if we don't put it through that funnel, we start taking credit for what God is doing. And trust me, my friend, that will not lead you anywhere good. It will lead you to a point that you think you're better than God and you don't need a savior and you don't need somebody to come through for you. You are righteous because of Christ alone. If I was going to put a jacket on you, if, you, if God was right here and, and Jesus was right here, he would have to put his coat of righteousness over you to stand before the Father. It is not by because you're good and you're great. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who he is. Number two. Rocks of rightness. I am right. It's not my fault. Not my problem. It's not my issue. Grab a tissue. I just threw that in there. 
I usually just say, too bad, so sad, grab a tissue for your issue. I tell that to my kids a lot. But uh, uh, how do you know if you're being affected by, the, by this one, this rock of rightness? It's when you don't show grace the way grace was shown to you. It's whenever you look at somebody who makes a mistake and you look down upon him. Let me tell you, the line between you and them is really small. And it's only by God's grace and God's power that we're able to stand in this side and say, Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me not to fall into temptation. Thank you, Jesus, because you have allowed me not to fall into that trap. So you can't say I'm that good. I got my life put together. It is all by God's grace and love and power that he has for us. Come on. You can applaud that. That's fine. Rightness. Righteousness. I am the standard. That's what that means. Rightness. It's not my fault. The next rock that we pick up is rocks of resentment. I had this rock because somebody hurt me. The rock says... I've done a lot for you. I have sacrificed for you. It's not fair. I'm not allowing this anymore. It's because, of the, it's because you hurt me that I am not going to allow this anymore. I, you hurt me. I've done a lot for you. I deserve better. The rock will cause something to happen in your life, which is called emotional Lockdown. When you hold resentment in your heart for something that somebody did to you or something that somebody did to your family or something that somebody did to your friend and you hold that in your heart, you will become what's called numb. And it's a horrible place to be. Because you can see somebody hurting and you don't show feelings towards them. You can see somebody laughing. Everybody else is dictated by what you're feeling. It's like taking glasses and you smear them and everything is seen through your glasses. No longer through scripture, no longer through love. It is your glasses that have become disturbed. Your emotions become in lockdown. Trust me. Only Jesus can break through that. If you're not careful, if you hold those rocks, or maybe one of them, it can lead you to this next one. Rocks of revenge. You're going to pay. You hurt me. You did this. You are going to pay. You have done me wrong. Uh, you have hurt me. You have hurt my family. It's, I'm not going to stand for this. I know things. I'm going to tell somebody. I, I'm not holding it back. That rock will poison you to the core that you would no longer be able to feel the same way. Rocks of righteousness. I am the standard. Rocks of rightness. It's not my fault. Rocks of resentment, you hurt me. I'm not going to let nobody else hurt me anymore. So I'm going to put my emotions in lockdown. I'm going to keep everybody in arm's distance. I want to, I want to grow on this one with you. Then maybe you have been hurt. And you're like, I'm going to keep everybody away because I am not going to let nobody hurt me anymore. Rocks of revenge. 
But the last one, it seems very innocent. But it will hurt you the same way. Rocks of retreat. You won't see me throwing rocks. I just collect them. You won't see me saying anything. You won't see me talking about it. You won't see me trying to talk through it. But they're here. Oh, I'm holding rocks. I'm holding rocks. I'm collecting them. I have become a rock hoarder. I got a collection. Oh, oh, you said that. You know, we use a term in my family that's called nicety. That is nice and nasty in the same time. Have you ever met somebody that has given you a nasty answer? And you go, is that a compliment or did you just slap me? Right? You get one of those, bless your heart. You're like, oh, I know what that means. Or bless your little heart. Might as well get slapped, right? So the reality of it is, rocks of retreat comes from those people. They go, I used to be in a dream team. I used to be part of the church. Now I just kind of just go to church. I don't get involved. I don't let nobody hurt me. I'm just going to collect rocks. Oh, bless their heart. Another rock. Bless their heart. Did you know that hidden rocks are just as important as exposed rocks? Just because you don't talk about them, they're still poisoning your heart. Just because you don't deal with them, it doesn't mean that they're not there. Eventually, if you try to walk on water, rocks will sink you. Come on, somebody. If you're carrying rocks in your pocket, try to swim. It does not work. See, I love outdoor stuff. One of the crazy things I found out is that you can trap animals. And one of the, uh, I remember when I was working for Teen Challenge, and, uh, and it was one of the best years. I broke my teeth in ministry in there, and it was so cool. But there was a cat that lived in the center. He was a gangster cat. This cat had half ear, had scars everywhere. I mean, this thing was mean looking. I mean, I walked in the same sidewalk and it stared me down and I walked the other way. Have you ever met those cats? You're walking like, I'll talk to you later, you know. But one day we trapped this cat. And I found out that all his emotions came out. You couldn't even get close to the cage. It would start scratching, reaching out. I mean, that noises that still haunt me to this day. I mean, it's like, Rah! I'm like, whoa, 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 Jesus takes us away from my mind. I mean, if there was a demon, that's probably what it sounded like. But, you know, all of a sudden this thing was making noises. It was scratching. I believe the people that hold rocks, the white-knuckle rocks, it's the same way. They're like a cage animal. They don't know what to do if the rocks are in their hands. If they're, rock, if they're holding those rocks so tight, it becomes part of them. And it's hard to let go unless the Savior comes in. And it exposes a lie with the truth. How do you get rid of the lies of the devil? By exposing them with the truth of the word of God. So, number one, rocks of righteousness. I am the standard. 
Rocks of rightness, it's not my fault. Rocks of resentment, you hurt me. You hurt me. I don't know why, but I want to tell you, you've been hurt. God wants to restore your heart today. Rocks of revenge. You're going to pay. Rocks of retreat. I will hide. I'm still hurt. I'm still holding all those rocks. I'm still piling them up. I mean, other people are dealing with it. I'm just going to hold them, but I'm just going to be putting my jacket on it. You might not see them, but they're weighing me down. They're hurting me. I won't get involved anymore. I won't serve in a dream team. Let me tell you, free people, free people. When you are free, come on. How many of you guys know if you are free, you want to free people? So you know what? Free people, free people. So those people are, are so bound that they hold them so much that it becomes their pet rocks. They got a name for them. Oh, that's my anger. Oh, that's when Sister Jimmy Bob or Billy Bob or whatever hurt me. And oh, well, that's her. Mr. Sue said something. That's when the pastor didn't say hello. That's when I didn't get a call. And all of them have a name because it marks a trauma in their life. And when there's trauma, there's peaks that you remember those peaks. It's just like when us, that we might not remember everything about our childhood, but there's traumas that we remember. There's things that mark our life. I want to share a story. About a guy in the Bible who is one of my heroes, not because he could, but because he couldn't. His name is Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up. And fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. His babysitter in a trauma, the, the king, there was a new king, or somebody was taking over. The nurse picked him up. They started running away because every time somebody would try to take over a kingdom, they would kill every descendant that came from there. Because they would have to bring a new lineage, a new descendants to the families. And all of a sudden, they brought somebody. And when they brought him in there, they would, they would start the new genealogy and everything would go from there. So this Mephibosheth, they tried to run and he tripped. Broke both legs. Ended up disabled. Ended up that his identity became his shortcoming. That his identity became that. And the crazy thing is that later on it says that David in chapter, verse, uh, chapter 9 verse 1, it said, One day David began wondering if any of Saul's family was still living. For he wanted to be kind to them and he had promised Prince Jonathan. I want you to know that David and Jonathan were like BFFs. Some of you ladies got beefies. Some of you guys go, I know, she's so cool. Some of you guys got best friends, and I get it. 
You know what? Imagine that and you made a promise to them that you would take care of their generations to come. And years passed. Now, meanwhile, Mephibosheth was being raised somewhere far away. He was being kept hidden because if they found out that he was alive, they were afraid that David was going to call for them and have him killed. Then David sent the servant and said, somebody told me that there's a kid. His name is Mephibosheth. He is way up there in that providence. I mean, he is way up there. Can somebody go get him? And I love this part. Verse 9, verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down and paid him honor. So he went before David. He didn't even know why he was being called. He didn't even know why he was there. And he said that he bowed down. When you bow down and you don't make eye contact, you, 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 historically you open up your neck and you become vulnerable. Your most vulnerable spot is those veins. So he became vulnerable. He said, uh, yes. He said, don't be afraid. He said, David said, Mephibosheth. He said, at your service. Can you imagine how scary that would be to be in front of a king that could kill you? To be in front of a king that has all the power over you, all he had to say is one word. His life would end. He said, at your service, he replied. And I can imagine David looking at him and said, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I am surely I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belongs to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat of my table. Mephibosheth, remember the eat of my table. Number eight, it said, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, who is, who is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? His identity was wrapped up with his situation. His identity was wrapped up in the storm that he was facing. His identity, he, he called his name according to what he was going through. But David seen beyond that and said, I'm going to bless you. And this is where grace come in. That we were talking about the stones before. And Jesus said, get up, nobody's judging you. Go on and sin no more. That is grace. And David looked at Mephibosheth and said, I'm not going to bless you because of you. Because you have done nothing to deserve this. But I am going to bless you because of your father and grandfather. So whatever we have, whatever we have in our hands, whatever we think we have accomplished, It is not because you are that great. It is all because of Jesus. So can I ask you something? Can you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I'm going to ask you a couple questions that might be 
little difficult to, to understand and deal with. Maybe you're dealing with one of those rocks and you're white knuckling that rock so tight that you're having a hard time letting it go. It has become part of you. Maybe you're holding resentment. Oh, I can't believe you did this. I know things, but I'm not going to say this. Or maybe you're the one that quit serving and quit doing something in God's house because you have retreated and you're hiding the rocks. Or maybe you're the one that, that, that you feel like you're better than everybody else because you can pray more. I don't know where you are at right now. But one thing I do know that we need to surrender everything. Like that song that we just sung, it said, you can have it all. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I surrender it to you because there is nothing I can do that, can, that I can do to get close to you, God. It's only by your robe of righteousness, your love for me, your, what you're doing in me that I can come close. So I'm going to ask you the first question. Who dropped you that you are so hurt? Jesus cares about you. It could be a man. It could be a woman. It could be somebody in church. That your church are they and nothing like church hurt. But you're hurt. Jesus cares so much for you was willing to lay down his life through eternity for you. If that is you, there are, first of all, you need to know Jesus as your Savior. Just put your hand up and down really quick. Amen. 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 So great. We'll pray together with you in a little bit. Now the other one is this. Maybe you're white-knuckling rocks right now. I will never talk to my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, my dad. They hurt me. I will never talk to that person, that person, or that race of this race. It doesn't matter what rock are you holding, my friend, that is keeping you bitter. If you are holding rocks really tight and you're having a hard time letting it go, just raise your hand and put it down really quick. Amen. Come on. I'm going to ask you to do. Can we all stand together? Holy Spirit, before we sing this song, but you can have it all. I want us to have a conscious decision, God, that we will surrender these rocks and we will build an altar out of those rocks. What was used for evil, now we're going to use it for the best. If you need, this might be the longest walk you might have to do today. But if you need to surrender some rocks to Jesus, don't look around. What are they going to think? Because they're not carrying the rocks for you. You are carrying them and you need to come and surrender them. I can do it right here, but let's do it as a sign of surrendering at God's altar. If you're there and you need to surrender some rocks, will you come up front? Can I ask the prayer team to come forward? Come on, don't wait. If you know you got some rocks you need to give away, get out of here. Get, come and find somebody or find somewhere here to pray. 
Don't white knuckle those rocks. Don't leave here with those rocks. Come on. Can we start the song? If any time in this song you feel like you need to come and drop those rocks off because the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to you wherever you're at. Amen. That's awesome. If you need to bring somebody who might be carrying rocks, they might need your strength, just grab them and say, come on, let's go drop those rocks together. Come on, let's worship together.